0: 41,000 people in New Zealand have dementia and that number is set to double over the next 20 years as a result of an ageing population. The most common form of dementia is Alzheimer's disease, typified by memory loss, a growing inability to care for oneself and ultimately death. But people with dementia say the stereotypical image of a helpless, frail pensioner works against them, causing stigma and alienation. In this Radio New Zealand Insight, the first of a two-part series on dementia, Sue Ingram talks to those affected by the disease.
1: My name is Richard, and I have Alzheimer's disease. I was diagnosed about seven years ago. My daughter, who's a nurse, had come to see me, and she noticed some little different about her dad. They ended up being the seven early warning signs of dementia.
2: Richard Taylor, a tall, silver-haired, eloquent Texan, a man in his late 60s, a man with Alzheimer's disease.
1: And I went to my physician, and the first words out of my general practitioner's mouth were, don't worry, we have a drug for Alzheimer's disease. I was stunned by that, just stunned. Well, a year later, a neurologist said, Richard, you have dementia, probably of the Alzheimer's type. Now, we don't remember anything he said after those words because we were so stunned by it. Just the event of being diagnosed with dementia is a profound influence on individuals. And when we got home, I opened the car and I got out and I started to cry, just hysterically I started to cry, like harder than I cried when my mom died. And I didn't know why.
3: The foremost impact was denial. Linda Taylor is Richard's wife of
2: 23 years. The couple are in Wellington at an Alzheimer's conference.
3: I didn't understand what the doctor was saying. My vision of Alzheimer's is like everyone else. Some old person sitting in a wheelchair not speaking. So how could my husband, who was self-sufficient, have Alzheimer's? I didn't understand it. Fear was the, the big, dominating feeling.
1: It affects me kind of episodically. I have episodes. Um, I think I've crossed a... Uh, uh, another milestone in that sometimes I have episodes and I'm not aware of them now. I'm not in pain. Uh, I hear the same things you hear and I see the same things you see. I just view them a little differently. My hippocampus processes them differently than yours does. It's, it's, it's wrong to call us sufferers. We're not suffering. There's no pain involved in this. It's very sad and it's very frightening, but I know people who are suffering, and I'm not suffering.
2: Richard Taylor has become the poster boy for those affected by dementia, a forceful illustration of hope and possibilities. Addressing a sympathetic crowd of delegates, he is a passionate advocate for breaking down the stigma and stereotyping that accompanies dementia and Alzheimer's.
1: I have trouble recognizing people's faces and names. Why don't we all wear name tags? Why don't we all have a little definition of who we are if I'm having trouble remembering you? Why doesn't somebody tell me when my son is coming over so I get it right when he walks in a room? Because he always cries when he comes in. Because I confuse him with his brother. Why don't you folks look at ways that you can enable us to be all that we can be? We need help in staying in today. I had a lady take me into her room and she said, look, my daughter just redecorated this wall for me. And it looked like her daughter had just taken a decorating class and, and picture framing. And she said, you know, Richard, half of the people up here are dead. But every time my daughter comes over, she makes me remember who all these dead people are. They were members of the family. Well, that was to affirm to her daughter that her mother was still her mother, a member of the family. She said, I can't even remember the name of the man that comes here and wakes me up every day. We need help to stay in today. And we turn to you to help us stay in today. The extent of the
2: disease in the community means that nearly everyone has some experience of dementia, most often Alzheimer's, either within their own family or that of a friend's.
4: So this is what we do. Every morning I write in this little exercise book what the day is. Then I write a nice little note. So this is going right back. Wednesday, January the 13th. So I wrote, good morning sweetheart, I hope the sun shines on your day. Can you please hang the washing out? (laughs) Lunch. Yummy fruit, cinnamon bread. I will be home in good time. Karen is coming for dinner. Take care, love you big time. P.S. I could do with some shirts ironed. At their
2: home in Wellington, Al Morrison helps to keep the days busy and meaningful for his wife, Kate Clark.
4: The next day was Thursday. Uh, good morning to my darling Kate. Today you have an appointment at the podiatrist at 10.30 this morning. Then Simply Skin at 12pm. They will look out for you. Remember, it is just along from Lafare.
2: Kate, now in her late 50s, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's seven years ago. In July 2008, she was interviewed on Radio New Zealand by 9 to Noon's Catherine Ryan. Kate, uh, before you were told that she had Alzheimer's, had you known for a while that something was wrong?
0: Yes, yes, because I was working, and um, I couldn't um, remember some of the things that I was um, told to do, and that I. Two
2: was, years um, on, how is Alzheimer's affecting her now?
0: I I um, go out and do things as I did today. And I don't even think about it in a way. Well, I don't, you know. So um, working out um, what is um, not so good for me now or, you know, things that I can't do, I probably um, don't remember enough to, um, to know about that. Unless someone says something to me about it, and I think, oh yes, and then and I start talking about
2: it. So you live very much in the moment.
0: Absolutely, mm, good way of saying it.
2: Can you remember parts of your day? None of your day. Tell me what it's like. Um,
0: who was the the person, the guy that I went with? Today. My, yeah. So um, I was with him for quite a while, and once I saw him, before I saw him I I wasn't sure who he was, and then um, I um, saw him and we started talking. And once I'm with him and um, um, start talking to him, I, um, I can you know, talk quite a lot at that point. Once I know that he's there and he's talking and um, he says things like we went to a... Um, something at um, outside, not at... at um, oh, what was... You know, I can't remember <laughs> what you call it now.
2: <laughs> with Al's help, Kate keeps pretty active. She spends time with friends, sings in a choir, goes for walks and plays tennis. Despite a pragmatic attitude, she gets frustrated when she can't do something she knew she previously could.
0: Being able to talk properly about something that I really want to talk about and I can't remember enough to um, get people to see what I'm trying to say, and it's, that's awful.
2: How has your relationship with Al changed?
0: Um... <laughs> I suppose Al has to um, do much more for me. Um, when we first got together I was running around <laughs> doing all the things that you you would do and it's, all of that's sort of gone and so um, I suppose Al is um, helping me about what I should be doing over the day. I mean if I was on my own
4: for example
0: I think I'd just be sitting in here not knowing what to do.
4: So what you're hearing from Kate now is a really, really different interview than you would have heard two years ago because of the struggle with language and because she's less aware of what's happening. So the language one, we've had to change the way that we talk So, for instance, if I ask an open question, what did you do today? Well, you've heard it's a real struggle for Kate to remember. Mm. But if I say, how was Martin today? That's a prompt. Mm. So actually, I and and our friends have changed the way that we talk to her. um, And that means me knowing what she's been doing. But if I didn't organise what Kate was doing, she's told you what would happen. She'd sit there and do nothing. But the other thing that gets in the way, as you've heard, is she forgets words. Mm. So uh, we get into animal, vegetable, mineral. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that takes us so far, but it also becomes a bit tedious for both of us. Mm. And so the other thing we've learnt to do is live with silence.
2: Linda Taylor and her family are also making continual adjustments to deal with Richard's symptoms.
3: Every time when you think something is working, something else changes. In the beginning, it was losing his job, and then we had to adjust to that. And then later came he stopped driving, and that was a whole new stage of our our involvement with each other. And then he's been able to stay by himself while I work, because I still work full-time. And now he's just getting to where he says, I don't feel safe at home by myself, so that'll be a whole new step. He's afraid of getting lost. He's afraid of falling and no one knows that he fell. They're just afraid of being by themselves. They become very fixated on certain things and they just can't give those things up. Some things they can't remember at all and other things they just never forget. And it's a challenge being a carer to keep up with that. right? For instance, I thought it would be very simple. If he wanted to turn the stove on and just warm up some food, that would not be a big deal. And one day he decided he had to make um, food for hummingbirds, which is water and sugar. He put it on the stove and looked outside and decided the plants needed to be watered. So he walked outside, left the pot on the stove. It boiled so much that the whole pot melted. My son came across and said, Richard, there's smoke in the house. He still didn't even recognise it, he just had no concept. Well, now we take the knobs off the stove and he's not allowed to use the stove. And that's another step. Eventually things are just taken away a little bit at a time. And that makes him very angry. He's aware of it and he's angry.
2: It's the nature of dementia, of which Alzheimer's is the most common form, that the symptoms usually become more severe over time. But it's wrong to generalise. Alan Gibb has a form called frontal temporal dementia and mild cognitive impairment.
0: I've been diagnosed since uh, before 2002. And since then, with the strategies and medication, um, uh, I think that I've improved. I live in a flat associated with a rest home. Acknowledgement of your situation acceptance of it has been the greatest step that I have taken in, I can't say recuperation, but improving my lot. I am now much better than I was
4: nearly ten years ago.
5: Hi, my name is Heather and I come from Christchurch and I first noticed problems in 2002 when I was just 55 years old when I lost my smell and my taste. Then my speech deteriorated, my memory and then my balance. Today I have a little smell and taste, my speech is great unless I'm really tired or if I'm under stress. or or a lot on my mind or if things are not going to plan because I always have to have plans. Um, I was diagnosed with a dementia of the suspected Alzheimer's type in early 2005. So I spent a lot of time thinking and I've finally come to realise that I no longer feel a victim because that's what I felt like in the start. I'm moving forward and my philosophy is to try and do two things each day that I don't want to do in order to stretch myself and expand my ideas of who I am and what I'm still capable of doing.
2: Heather lives on her own, still drives and has trusted friends who help her. She says her family doesn't really want to know. Last time contact with daughter was Christmas time and... A son that lives in the same
5: city as me—I've seen him three times since October—and a sister in Dunedin, and she just says, "You haven't got Alzheimer's, Heather, You're just depressed," and she's a nurse. I really didn't recognise that I was diagnosed with Alzheimer's
2: until recently. Kathy Van Dyne has wanted to keep her diagnosis of Alzheimer's to herself.
5: I thought I had memory loss from a stroke, and everybody else in the family had you know, I'd been to the doctor and they knew I had Alzheimer's and I was very happy with the fact that, you know, it was my bad memory, like, so I've had a stroke. And then one day, I don't know who said something, and I said to, I think it was my daughter, I said, have I got Alzheimer's? And she said, yes. I was devastated. I was absolutely devastated. I was happy to think I had bad memory because of a stroke, but when I thought I had Alzheimer's, I just went to pieces and I didn't cope very well for quite a long, long time, but I still have not willingly told anybody that I've got Alzheimer's.
2: Cathy says hearing others at the conference talk about having the disease has made her willing to reveal what's happening to her. She, Heather Cameron, Alan Gibb and Richard Taylor all took part in a panel discussion, their ability and insights, knocking preconceptions about how dementia affects people.
1: I was in the airport once and... uh I always have to ask for a pass for someone to take me to the gate. And I have to tell them I have dementia. And I told this lady I had Alzheimer's. She looked at me and she said, and I had my suit on. I was dressed up. She said, you don't have Alzheimer's. I said, yes, I do. She said, what's your first name? (laughs) I said, Richard. She said, see, I told you, you don't have Alzheimer's.
2: Linda Taylor says her husband's healthy physical appearance and his eloquence he speaks at numerous events and conferences belies the issues they're facing
3: one time he was speaking and several doctors came up to him and they were very angry and they said you shouldn't be telling people you have alzheimer's because you obviously don't you can do this activity and you're giving wrong messages but they don't live with him such as um we just went on a family vacation and during that family vacation, my husband wandered off. He had it in his mind. He had to go and buy some walking sticks to help him walk better and took off and was lost for an hour and a half in a strange country. And the whole family, there were six of us, panicked and started looking for him and couldn't find him. And when we happened to find him, he was laying on the grass with his hands behind his head, just looking at the sky and not a care in the world and had no idea what had even happened.
2: And what were the fears going through your mind that made you and the family so upset?
3: We knew he wouldn't know where he was. He could get hurt. He would get scared because he couldn't find his way home. We were fighting for him, fearing he was afraid.
2: It turns out that he wasn't afraid. Not at all. He was having a great time. (laughs) So how do you cope with that, such a gap between his perception of things and what he's putting
3: you through? Well, the one person who found him was our son-in-law, who understands Alzheimer's the least. And he was very angry, saying, how could you do this? You've upset your wife. And the truth is, if he knew it, he wouldn't do it. And they don't understand that they can't think ahead. They're in the moment, and they have no idea what they're doing. They have none.
1: We were in Hawaii a couple of weeks ago. And I wandered off, and they didn't find me for a couple hours. And the whole family had to process that there's something wrong with Dad. It was just our nose was rubbed in it. So they all began by jumping on Todd on how inappropriate his response was. And then they started to whisper to each other. Do you think he knows what happened? (laughs) As if, you know, I'd gone deaf in the car. (laughs) And um, that's all anybody said, except the rest of the vacation, somebody was always (laughs) holding on to me while we were walking. So we got home, and I was irritated that we didn't process this. You know, I can't stop being a psychologist. And they said, well, we did process it. We talked about it in the van. Well, that's how my family deals with this, you know. They see a symptom, and then they go off and talk about it. And they, I'm, I know they make adjustments, I know it hurts them, I know they're concerned, I know they love me, but it, hell, if they can't include me in on it, it, it just creates more problems than it solves for me. Because then I see changes in their behavior, and I just have to guess what those mean to me.
3: His expectations of the family that we just can't meet, all the time it's just isn't impossible when he wrote his book he wrote a book and in the beginning I couldn't read the book because I knew where the stories came from and I saw them as things against the family this happened and now I can't do this because of the family and that was hurtful but then I realized it was just his way of releasing his anguish you know he's, he's lost his independence and um There's just no way to change that. Al
2: Morrison, husband, carer of Kate, and the chief executive of the Department of Conservation, is also busy keeping up with what Alzheimer's is throwing at them both.
4: Kate can't cook Because Kate's in the moment, she doesn't think about running a house. So I have to think about doing the washing and I have to think about doing the shopping. But that doesn't mean we can't do the washing and the shopping together. The strange thing is, you can actually still do the ironing. And then there's always that scary bit about, is the iron being left on? But that leads you to cope. So I've only just discovered that you can buy irons that turn themselves off. So I'm going to go and get one of those. Because if Kate can iron, then for heaven's sake, keep doing the ironing. Kate was sort of having trouble meeting people, because people come and they pick her up for tennis and so on. And when we started talking about it, it was because she couldn't read the time. So I thought, oh, I've got this sussed. Yeah. And first of all, we tried to find a digital watch. And I set it down with a great sense of triumph, and I said, right, what's the time? So Kate points to it, and she says, that's a five. Yep, yeah, and that's a zero, and that's an eight. Great, what's the time? Uh, five zero eight. I didn't have a clue what that meant. So that didn't work. And so then we thought, well, you know, who can't read the time? Well, blind people can't read the time. And the Royal Foundation for the Blind came up Trumps and they produced this little cube with a button on the top and you push it. The time is four thirty seven. The time is four forty five and it's working perfectly. Yeah. But what we've had to do is we educate all her friends to tell Kate that they're not picking her up at quarter to five. They're picking her up at 4.45. <laughs> so those are the sort of things that, you know, just that happen along the way. But they're the easy things to talk about. You lose the complex parts of your relationship. So you lose the emotional time. You lose the physical time. And you really rest on your history. So your relationship revolves around the love that you've built up over all those years and it then rests on the awkwardness of your situation. If you put Kate on a tennis court, she'll dance around like there's no tomorrow. But if you walk on an uneven surface, or downstairs and upstairs, then it's a very deliberate, careful walk. Mm. So actually doing physical things, like walking on difficult ground or having a sexual relationship, is actually quite a complex thing to do. But then so is playing tennis. Um, Well, yeah, you explain it. It's an enigma, isn't it? I mean, there's no way that after seven years of being diagnosed with Alzheimer's, Kate should be dancing around a tennis court, but she is. I love it because
0: it's something that um, I can do. It's just a lot of fun. Um, Because you've got to think about where you're going to put the, um, what do you call it? the the ball. the ball, and I love you know that I love that sort of um, finding where am I going to put that, and so that these people over there can't get to it or something. I couldn't do without Al at all. So, you know,
4: you don't get angry like you Steve, but you you do get pissed off <laughs> with me telling you what to do you know your partner is a person that you unload on and you can't find a surrogate for that even even with your most trusted friends and anyway you don't come home and your friends are there so a lot of what happens between people in a relationship is spontaneous and actually engineering situations in order to replace that uh, is not the same. So my experience is you're better to adjust to it.
1: It's the ultimate test of the unconditional love that you pledged when you got married. It's a challenge. It's a tremendous opportunity, I think, for both people to rediscover each other in different ways, and they just don't want to do that. They're comfortable, we've already planned out our future. I wanted to grow old with you, being just like you, and I wanted us to both die in an automobile accident very quickly when we were 95. That's not the way it works. So we just have to play with the cards that we have and be convinced that there's sufficient value in, in us as human beings. you draw on your history
4: you draw on the history of the relationship and on and on what you had and you never lose that you know you can lose what you thought you were going to get tomorrow but you can't lose what you had yesterday and so you live with that and you're blessed by it and you're thankful for it and it keeps you going i mean this is a horrible disease let's not romanticize it Mm. and it only gets worse, because that's what Alzheimer's is. Mm. And you don't really think about that. I mean, Kate talks about living in the moment, but in a sense I think in the moment, because what's the point in not? Mm. Otherwise, what you do is you start anticipating. So then you say, I'll get someone to do the ironing when Kate can do the ironing. Because you might be scared the iron's left on, or you might be scared that you come home and the shirt you wanted done isn't done because she forgot, or whatever. We well, just don't do that. You leave everything that can be done on the day.
0: That Radio New Zealand Insight programme was written and presented by Sue Ingram. Anyone who wants more information about dementia should contact their local organisation of Alzheimer's New Zealand.